Hello, everyone. This is Eric Pennington, and welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. We're glad that you've tuned in. A few things we wanted to tell you at the beginning of the show, and that's this podcast was created to be a tool to help you, primarily to discover and grow your EQ. Science and our own lived experiences confirm that the better we are at managing our emotions, the better we're going to be at making decisions, which leads to a better life. And that's something we all want. We're glad that you've taken out the time today to listen and hope that something that you hear will lead to a breakthrough. Hey, one last thing. We'd really appreciate a review on whichever platform you use to listen. And if you want to, leave some comments about what you heard today, as well as follow and subscribe. That way you won't miss a single episode as we continue this journey. And with that, the show begins. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. I'm Eric Pennington, and joining me is Jeff East. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Hi, Eric, and everyone out there. So today we have a very special guest, Kat Perlson, leadership expert, has so kindly consented and agreed to join us today. And I say it that way, Jeff, specifically, because um, I met Kat by way of another one of our guests. Do you remember Jess Laughlin? Did I pronounce her name? Laughlin. Laughlin. Thank you. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was a wonderful show. We did that back last year sometime. Yeah. Um, or maybe it was this year because well, it was cold. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I had reached out to Jess and I said, hey, you know, you've got a pretty powerful story around overcoming trauma and things like that, and we're really trying to do some more episodes around that. And she said, well, let me think about it. So I'm kind of, and I made it clear to her that, hey, if, if this is not a fit, you don't feel, you know, you know, safe to really go there. I'm not going to press because it really is kind of a vulnerable thing. So I'll wait, I wait. And she says, you know, the answer is no. <laughs> but I know someone that could be awesome. And that is Kat. And we had a lot of back and forth. We planned this. I think, actually, we started really planning this back in June. Yes. Then something happened and something else happened. So, boom, here we are in November. Yes. And not the only reason that we wanted to have Kat on was to talk about trauma, even though we're going to go there today. Um, she's actually got a lot of great insights about leadership. And I, I, I see a connection there, right? Mm -hmm. Because one of the great... Um, one of the worst masks that I think people wear, especially in corporate America, is that they're fine. <laughs> I'm okay, right? Um, no problem. I, I've got this. And the reality is, is that I'd probably say, am I being exaggerative? Maybe 95% of all people have some level of trauma in their background. Wait, and, and right now, I think it's more than, than just people. I think businesses are in trauma. Ooh, we could probably go there, Jeff. Ah, uh, see, I love it, man. I just you 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 say it, and then it's there, right. and now we. Yeah. we go. I've I've had my good thoughts, so I'm just going to sit here. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> see, you try to do that false modesty stuff. So, Kat, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here today. <laughs> great, great. So, I'm I want to start there with trauma. Um, I, I'd like to hear a bit about the role that has played in your life, right? And how trauma in general impacts our ability to relate uh, to other people. And I know you're not a clinician. You're not going to go into the clinical side of your, I, your personal story. I thought it was very powerful, as well as for our audience in how they're relating with people who have gone through that. So you feel comfortable starting there? Sure. Yes. All yes, right. Yes. Um, so when we had originally met, I had talked to you about how I think my whole life I had snippets of trauma um, and not some huge traumatic event, but these little hills that you have to climb. So when I was very young, I was diagnosed with dyslexia. And I remember my first grade teacher, who was the reading specialist, who for, to protect her will remain nameless, <laughs> um, well played, said in front of me, to my parents, you need to prepare for a very limited future oh for her. And I think that that was my first experience with trauma. However, I have the 
most amazing parents in the world. They are incredibly supportive. My mom was my advocate. She would go to school and ask for the things that I need, and they would pay for the tutors, and they would make sure I was okay, and they constantly— So I've got to interrupt you. No, go right because ahead. Because mm-hmm. when, when you heard that, mm-hmm. right, and, and that was—what grade were you in again? I was in the first grade. First grade. Yeah. So the, a while back. Yeah. Do you, do you remember what went through your mind when you heard that? I, and, and did it have that impact then, or was it later? No, I had it later. Um, I was a very ornery child. <laughs> um, okay. right. So if you told me I couldn't do something, I would go, <laughs> watch me. Right, yeah. So yeah. I think I was one of these little kids that had just resiliency pumping through their their blood. But mm-hmm. I, I owe that. To my parents, they allowed me to fail. They always had a growth mindset. They Mm. always looked at failure as part of the process. Failure is not final. It's not fatal. It's Mm -hmm. learning how not to do something is just as important as learning how to do something. Mm -hmm. So if I learned natural consequences very organically, and I, I love my parents for how they raised me. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. My mother and father to this day were scared I was going to grow up and be a stand-up comedian because they're like, she is going to tell all of the horrible stories about us. And now I do that in corporate America. But, I'm sorry, Jeff, this is a musical reference, okay. but it's not for a band. I was a musician, and okay. that's all I wanted to do. Yeah. And I remember after I had been married like 10 years and mm-hmm. it wasn't going to be the thing I was going to do with my life. I remember my mom, it must have been over the holidays, just kind of casually saying, well, you know, I was praying you would never make it. <laughs> I remember, I remember no. going, well, thank you for that, mom. I, I appreciate it. And, and my mother and father will have the same sentiment. They're just like, we know she's funny, but we only want her to be funny at home. All right. Yeah, not in front yeah. of anyone else. Uh-huh. Um so that was my first taste of trauma. And I think from that, I developed high-functioning anxiety. And I always wanted to be the best. I always had something to prove. I always needed that. And I was rewarded. So I was positively reinforced for my anxiety. So I became a straight-A student. I, I worked really hard. I did all of these things. I went to college. I got in. I got scholarships for academics for kids with neurodiversity. That's not heard of. Like, I looked at it as this is my mountain. This is my Sisyphean task. I'm going to roll this rock up this hill, and it'll fall down. And, and it's funny when it does. I still make dyslexic mistakes all the time. I, for example, coming here, I went to 105th teen instead of 511 because <laughs> my brain yeah. goes Floop. yes and, and for our audience we are in 511 studio studios so there's, right. some, there's, yes. there's the connection i'm sorry i gotta do it again no, because when you were at when you were saying that it really resonated about the idea of performance sort of fueling mm-hmm. and, and did, did you find it as a fuel like yes. hey if i do this mm-hmm. i'm gonna get that yes okay. and i became a wonderful pretender life became a show and because you didn't want to let anyone know you were different because back then um (laughs) the special ed classroom was in the basement like in the corner next to the boiler room and you were walking that green mile down to that classroom and everyone knew and in the second grade a kid asked my second grade teacher why does Catherine, my real name's Catherine, but I'm only called that when I'm in trouble. So (laughs) why does Catherine leave the classroom every day? And my teacher told him I had a disease that made it hard for me to learn. So I am this little second grader with the plague (laughs) on the playground and no one wanted to play with me. Right, because it was a disease. Because it was a disease. It's that my best friend who I've known since the first day of kindergarten, Martin Garnerette, he played with me and I got into this little group of these weird kids and we we were weird we were the theater kids we were the musicians we were mm. the empathetic children that didn't look at people who were mm. differently and and it was a really great fantastic core group of friends and i learned my worth as a person didn't have to be assigned to this label mm-hmm. and i mm. but i was always striving to be the best i was always dedicated to making sure that no one knew about this dirty little secret that I had that made me mm-hmm. not 
worthy, that made me less than. Mm-hmm. And so I, I picked a school and I actually went to Otterbein University. It was called Otterbein College back then, but now Otterbein University. And I picked it because they honored individual education programs. And I went there and that's an IEP. So kids who struggle, um, yes. we get special care. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, it's not like I'm not dyslexic anymore. I have great coping mechanisms. Yeah. And then when I was at school, I learned even more. I grew. I had fantastic teachers. Um, you know, went off into the real world, had these amazing friends. Jess Laughlin and I met our freshman year on the third floor of Clements Hall. And I'm still fantastic friends with her and all of those girls. We have we have created a 20-year bond that is unlike anything else. And I struggled to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And, you know, like we we learn and when we study neuroscience, your frontal cortex, like your decision-making hub doesn't fully develop till you're mm-hmm. 25. And I don't know why we look at 18-year-olds and say, plan out the rest of your life, because that sounds great. You know, or why we get married before 25. <laughs> I have no idea, because you're not done cooking. Like everyone loves cookie dough, right? Everybody yeah. loves it. But it also gives you salmonella. <laughs> Do not make long-term decisions with a cookie dough brain, right? So I, I struggled. I was this you know, I was, I wouldn't say I was a wayward or lost soul, but I was looking for that thing. And the thing I found was teaching. And I never wanted a kid to feel the way I did. And I, it came to that because I was working at an office that shall not be named down the street from here for the government. And um, (laughs) my boss at the time, I had misspelled something in an email And she goes, this is an ungodly simple task, Kat, and yet you made another mistake. And I went, I'm it. Because I think everyone has that, no, I'm out. You just, that was the end. I'm done. And that was my I'm done. And I needed to get out of there for my mental health. I couldn't be my most authentic self. I couldn't be this thing. And I just got so tired of hiding it. So I made it my mission to become a teacher, to become a special education teacher, and make sure that no kid was ever defined by the two things that we can't do. Because everyone in this room can't do something, right? Mm-hmm. We all can't do something. But does that determine your worth? No. And it's not that you can't. You just can't yet. We have to have a growth mindset. Or you know what? I And I, what I've found as of late is that I choose not to. Mm-hmm. It's not my thing, right? Yes. That, that to me speaks kind of to the idea that I've got agency. I don't... Yeah. I, I don't have to climb that mountain that you or 20 million other people climbed if it's not my thing. Exactly. Exactly. Why do I have to be able to dunk a basket? What what part of my life does that serve me? Hey. You know, reading, that's kind of important. Spelling. <laughs> right. Just some basic it's stuff. A basic, yeah. Some basic stuff. Yeah. But I became a teacher and I loved it. And I fell in love with kids on the spectrum. So autism mm. spectrum disorder. Mm-hmm. Because... <clears throat> The beauty of it was that there are so many things that they couldn't do, but there were these epic things they could. Like I had a student, completely nonverbal, but could look at a sheet of music and go to a piano and play it as if he had played it his whole entire life. That is a gift. Mm. So why are we defining people by what we they can't do? My wife, for the rest of this week, mm-hmm. before she changes jobs, works with adults with disabilities. Yes. And she has some people that she works with that are autistic. And yes. as she said the same thing, uh, I'm gonna, I'm, I want to share what my noble goal is. In, in the, our model of emotional intelligence, we have this thing called a noble goal, which is what defines who you are and what's important. And my noble goal is to find the art that is at the core of someone. Oh, I love that. And that's what you're doing. Yeah. So I, I am totally on board with what you're saying oh, because I think yeah. everybody, no matter what, has that. Mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, at their core. They have a light. We all can share a light. We all have mm-hmm. a talent. We all have that art, the art at the core. I love that. I might That's what that. I think is, is yeah. the will be the height of history is the irony of the United States and that we had so much information at our disposal that would make what yeah. you said to be like supported, mm-hmm. yet we went the other way. Yeah. I mean, it is the height of irony. I mean, because if we were in... Roman times, mm-hmm. someone could probably say, well, there was no, there was no information and there was no mm-hmm. way to get that information, blah, blah, blah. But today we have it in lightning speed 
but right. we we go the other way. Mm-hmm. To your point, yeah, Sorry. it's no, no. I think that that's perfect because when I entered into special ed, the the di- the diagnosis was one in forty nine. No, sorry. It was one in four. Let me do that again. So when I first went into special education for students on the spectrum, it was one in 449. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like they need such, such specialized training. And to watch a young child go through their entire career, not being able to vocalize their wants and their needs, but to learn sign language and to, to use an assistive technology device or to even use pictures to one day hear them say a word. You, mm-hmm. I got to watch miracles happen. Mm-hmm. I, w- I got to watch miracles happen every single day. And I did that for 11 years until I got hurt. Um, and when, as my career changed, that the frequency of the diagnosis continued to grow. And the kids that I was working with, that diagnosis didn't match what was going on, and they became incredibly violent. And we would try to help, and then I would start to go to classes to learn how to protect myself. And, you know, I have broken fingers and safety scissor scars on my, on my hands from being stabbed been punched in the face more times than I care to remember. And then one day it just got so bad and I was punched in the face so hard that I got a retinal tear and I had to get surgery to reattach my retina and I was thrown into a door so hard that I couldn't feel the right side of my body and I didn't realize what had happened to me, I guess the art had been destroyed. Mm. It was the thing that made me me, this thing that I was so good at, the best at, became the weapon for my destruction. And I didn't want to admit it. So I got up, I would do the things, I would, mm. I would, I would say I was okay, I would say I was fine. And I didn't realize that I had post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and some other things happened in life and I was assaulted and it's just like all of these traumas and I didn't want to admit it. I couldn't say it out loud. I couldn't say it out loud. And I did all of the things that women and men, cause it happens to both, mm-hmm. um, say it was my fault. It was my fault. This was my fault. I did this. It was my fault. It wasn't my fault. It was something that happened to me, but because I think that little girl that said, I can, I can, uh, watch me. That little girl was driving that bus because she desperately wanted yet again to have something that knocked her down in life to be able to be used as a catalyst to drive her forward. But the monster that lived inside of me, the monster that made me feel less than, that made me anxious, that made me feel like I was worthless, that made me feel like I didn't matter, that made me feel like I was nothing, drove the bus for quite some time. And I, I never wanted to take my own life, but I understand why people do. I understand that sleeping is the only time that you don't feel. And I understand being a corpse walking around and I understand not experiencing joy and pain and never being enough and just trying to do the next right thing. And it was hard, but I can do hard things. Mm. And the moment I knew that I understood what someone felt like when they are in so much pain that they no longer want to be here was the day I asked for help. So I did the right thing and I got the help that I needed and I got a therapist and I got a psychiatrist and I got Lexapro, which is the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me in life. And I did the work. I did the hard things. Now, while while that was happening, I made people's lives miserable and I don't want to I don't 
want to not acknowledge the trauma or the hurt that I caused other people while I was hurt. Because I do think hurt people hurt people. And I, I will forever regret some of the decisions that I made that hurt the people that I love. And I will every day make a commitment to God and make a commitment to my family and make a commitment to my friends that I will not ever go down that rabbit hole again. So now I am aware so much more of my feelings and my response, which is like that first step of emotional intelligence is becoming self-aware. Mm-hmm. And I had to go, you know what, you're, you're, you're not okay. You're <laughs> well, not fine. <laughs> it's interesting to me, Kat, um, and maybe interesting is probably too light of a word, um, because I know oftentimes in our culture, at least from my perspective, is that we are so outcome-oriented, as in, well, look what you did, and look how where you're at, and look what you have, mm-hmm. right? And I've always been more fascinated by when the lights are off, the cameras have stopped rolling, and you know tomorrow morning you got up at five o'clock because you need to get into the gym, mm-hmm. and you don't want to get up, mm-hmm. and you don't want to lift the weights. You don't, and mm-hmm. I'm using the exercise as the analogy, but you talked about doing the work. I can only imagine how difficult it was to raise your hand to say, "I need help." You talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah, <clears throat> I, um, I. I love my parents and I, we have a family friends who lost a child to suicide Mm -hmm. and I couldn't do it to my parents. I just couldn't. Mm -hmm. I absolutely could not. Um, I love my mom and dad. I love my brother and I couldn't, I couldn't imagine the amount of pain that I was feeling would be nothing to what they would feel if they thought I was okay. So I had to have that really tough conversation and, mm-hmm. you know, like nothing is worse than being like, Hey mom, Hey dad. So I'm not all right. And these are the things that are going through my brain. And then I, <laughs> I went to a facility in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I do not mean to make light of this, but I sat in the waiting room and, you know, like rehashing your trauma is is basically taking a wound that has healed and you take the knife in there and you go <laughs> to a stranger. And every time, and I've learned through therapy that that's not what this is. This is not right. like rehashing my trauma. This is helping somebody who might be going through this and thinking Oh my gosh. This. And, and Kat, yeah, I, yeah, I just as a, an insert there, yeah. um, I always think about and Jeff as well. So what would our audience, who could potentially be out there in our audience that are, that are thinking, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, maybe thinking, well, today would be the right day. Or, to your point. I was, I believe that what you're talking about and what Eric was mentioning is our stories are the most helpful thing we can have to, help someone yes. or the most powerful thing. Because mm-hmm. when we share, they know they're not alone. Exactly. And that's like, yeah. and, I, and I I do it all the time in my professional life. And, and my parents, again, my mom and dad are always scared. They're like, what if somebody uses this against you? And I say, that says a lot more about them than it does about me. Because if you weaponize trauma, <laughs> are you, are you, if you weaponize somebody's courage, to be vulnerable with you, we are going to have a whole nother conversation. And you know what, Kat? <laughs> I've taken the approach, and maybe it's because of the experience of being as long on the road as I have been. Um, I did say that, didn't I? Um, is that I've already burned the ships in the harbor. So if you want to go ahead and fire away, you yeah. go right ahead. Because I'm no longer banking on these this yeah. Flow thing that we have. This is my story. I'm standing by <laughs> yeah. it. Exactly. I mean, it, that's that's what it is. Yeah. Well, and it's hard because we're taught mm. to be ashamed of. It. And that one of my favorite favorite psychologists, Brene Brown, and I'm sure you oh. guys talk about her mm. all the time. The Gospel mm. According to Brene. You know, <laughs> that's, I that's yeah, I, like I I read all of her books, and I love the Atlas of the Heart because it tells us where we go when we feel things, and when we feel shame. Like our our visceral body, our our genetics change. Our not genetics, like our neurological pathways change. Our yeah. our feeling. Like I I will tell you right now, telling that story to 
to two people who I know have created a psychologically safe experience for so many people to come and share. I was sweaty. Like I, I'm very sweaty right now (laughs) and it's, but it's scary. Like, but if I feel scared, that means I'm going to be brave. Because you cannot feel, you cannot be brave without yeah. first being scared. Oh, yeah, yeah <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, that's the, that's the great irony of our yeah. culture, right? I want to be brave. I want to be brave. I don't want the fear part. Exactly. <laughs> right. So I, I do the scary thing. I stand up in front of people in a professional setting and I share my neurospiciness. I say, I have anxiety. I have crippling anxiety that is controlled every day by 20 milligrams of Lexapro. I have horrific depression. In which that monster that scratches at the subfloor of my brain that tells me I am worthless is fueled by post-traumatic stress disorder, which was not my choice. I, I use Zoloft Zola. for my anxiety. Uh, it's, <laughs> and one thing I'm going to tell you, <laughs> and you, just, you just prompted mm-hmm. this for me, um, and, and, I, and for our audience as well, this is not me saying that here's an alternative therapy because I did yeah. not learn this from a therapist. It's, it's based on what I did mm-hmm. for my own personal work is that now I no longer run from my monsters and demons. I invite them to sit down mm-hmm. and tell me. Exactly. And what I've found is that the ferociousness that they carry in, in the very front side of that begins to wane, mm-hmm. right? And then I have the opportunity to say, you can go now. And I love that. I have a very good friend um, who refers to different responses as bobbleheads on a shelf. Mm. Mm. And my anxiety bobblehead does keep me safe. It does keep me out of bad relationships. It, It does have a reason to be listened to, but it can't be the only bobblehead I take off of the shelf. Yeah. And I and by no means I am not a mental health professional by any stretch of the imagination. You know, longtime user, but not a. <laughs> n- by no means am I a mental health professional, but I do know that I need my medicine and I need talk therapy, and I am proof that when knocking on the door, you can turn around and find the light someplace else. And you have to be able to find the light. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you do need to sit in the dark with your monsters just and to understand them and to understand why, why is the depression monster there? Well, it does keep me safe sometimes. It does, it does allow me to feel things and I need to feel things. Mm-hmm. I need to be true to the emotion so I don't pretend again. So I don't, so I'm not this little girl that go, that goes, watch me. Like, no, I'm allowed to be hurt and my feelings are valid. I love your your vulnerability, Kat, because, and Jeff, you and I and past guests and even in some of our conversations, we're really trying to do at whatever level we can is to dispel this awful myth that um, we have it all synced and situated, <laughs> right? I mean, everything that we've talked about is because... We've been there. <laughs> right. And I and I say that, Kat, because, um, you know, it, it, I'll, I'll think back to my corporate career. Mm-hmm. Um, I paid for all my sins and then they let me go. Just <laughs> so you know that. <laughs> there were a lot of sins. I'm just telling you right now. Right? So, and I remember feeling like, well, how do I look? And uh, how did I sound? And, mm-hmm. okay, I've got to, and no, I can't, I can't let them see that. And though I wonder if they knew that this, and, and, and then you start to realize that, you know, every single person you're locking eyes with has something. And if you're wise, you'll want to draw near to those that are willing mm-hmm. to let you see it. And I don't mean see things that are so personal, that it's just not your place to see, but enough vulnerability to go, I'm not going to pretend, mm-hmm. right? Because I think when we stop pretending, then freedom comes mm-hmm. knocking on our door because, and then again, all this other stuff, mm-hmm. because if we go through our lives with this idea that somehow uh, the measure of a successful life is uh, how well I was able to portray something to the world, it's empty, Mm-hmm. I mean, it's much more inspiring. And, and, I, and I have to say this. Um, in the United States, I'm going to use just the United States because mm-hmm. that's my only reference point. So for those in the audience in India and in the UK and wherever, 
I, you, you could probably ask every single person, do you like a good mystery, like a movie, you mm-hmm. know, where the plot's kind of like, you're not sure what's going to happen next. You'll get people that will be like, yeah, yeah, like that one movie. And I remember once, yeah. did you see that movie? Yeah. yeah. You could get that discussion going. And then when you say, well, how about in your own life? Crickets. <laughs> mm-hmm. So how does that work? <laughs> I want to see it and I love it and it gets it gets all my I mean things are flowing but when I encounter it I recoil and want safety certainty and predictability. That's a big problem. Well, and I think it comes I love that you say safety, security and predictability. Like when we think back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. like the first thing that we need is safety. Mm-hmm. So when we don't feel safe, nothing else can get done. Absolutely nothing else can get done. And I think in the world of corporate America, I'm very blessed to work in a psychologically safe environment. I am very blessed to work in a place where we can have open and honest conversations, where feedback is a gift. It's not, I'm in trouble, where nobody nobody ever feels like they are not enough, that it is okay. And this is my favorite thing that my boss has ever said to me. He goes, Kat, it is okay not to be okay. Yeah. Uh, the very, very good statement. And I, and I would point out, Kat, mm-hmm. just so that you and the audience, Jeff, mm-hmm. understand, um, there's reasonable levels of safety, reasonable levels of predictability, mm-hmm. and all of that, right? Where I go is if you're moving towards safety as the thing, mm-hmm. you will inhibit your ability to go out and to be that it's it's like yeah. every great discovery, every explorer, if they would have stayed safe, mm-hmm. nothing would have been discovered. And it's, and and it's, it's absolutely okay. I want to make sure yeah. this is yeah. noted, right? That if I don't feel comfortable going on that journey mm-hmm. and I raise my hand and say, Jeff and Kat, I, I just don't feel comfortable. My hope is that you're going to say, that's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll figure something out. Very much. Right. Where I get concerned about where we're at as a culture, right, is, is, is this idea that, and, and I, I had this conversation with a group this morning, is that the absence of a noble goal will leave you a prisoner of the ups and downs and the ups and downs and the ups mm-hmm. and downs of life. And the danger in that is, is that there is a limited time offer called life, <laughs> right? And Jeff, I think you would really appreciate it because Jeff, the noble goal, that if I had to say mm-hmm. that thing is Jeff's thing is the noble goal. I use the illustration that those people who have the noble goal typically are able to lead a transcendent life. Very much so. They still experience this, the ups, the downs, the ups and downs, happy, sad, disappointment, mm-hmm. distraction, all that stuff. But their North Star, their their noble goal keeps them looking forward forward. Mm-hmm. And that's where I wanted to go with that, is that are you moving forward? Because if your embrace of safety is holding you back, there's a problem. And you, I personally think my my putting myself in a box, doing what little Catherine didn't want to do, being put in a box is what I did to myself. Mm. <laughs> it's like you are just this and you will never be anything more than this. And now the thing that you were good at, the, the only thing in life you're good at, you can't do anymore and I still can because I did the scariest thing ever I left teaching I, I had done it for 11 years I left you know what my $50,000 in student loans that just kicked in let's talk about anxiety right you're like yay now I'm not doing that but I am I'm still finding the art in people I'm still finding the light and I'm allowing adults I'm allowing them to heal I'm I'm giving them a place where they can actually find joy and know that they're never going to ever work in a psychologically unsafe environment again, that their trauma is valid, that that their feelings are valid, that they are allowed to feel the way that they that that they do. And have you ever had somebody ever giving you like a I'm sorry you feel that way? <laughs> Has that anyone ever had that? Oh, never. And I go, no, in about five minutes, you're going to be real sorry I feel that way. <laughs> like, uh, my team and I get to teach people how to have an authentic apology. Say, I am sorry what I did caused you to feel that way. It is not my intent, but it still did, and your feelings are valid. How can we chart a pathway forward? How can we make sure that we are creating 
culture and a community in which we are looking at people at their most micro level. And that's their art. That's their heart. That's yeah. their light. Like yeah. that's that thing. And we cannot be the people who diminish, who diffuse and who dim humanity. Cause that, that thing, those are our superpowers. Those are the things that make us special. My trauma, my dyslexia, my neurospiciness is my superpower. It makes me who I am. It makes me empathetic. It makes me kind. It makes me understanding. And it allows me to understand that there's not a single person on this planet, and I truly do believe this, that that wakes up and goes, you want to know what I want to do? Make people miserable. Yeah. I don't think that there is a person out there. Yeah. I truly do not. And if I can be a messenger of hope, if I can be the person that says, you know, bad things happen, but we can have traumatic growth. Um, so I, my therapy that I have done in the past is dialectical behavioral therapy, and it's all talk therapy. Mm -hmm. And it's understanding that we have to live in the wise mind where we have a logic brain and we have an, our emotional brain, and they have to live in a wise mind. So I'm allowed to have an emotion, but logically, how am I going to respond? Mm -hmm. So I can sit. We call it sitting in the suck. We can sit in the suck. We can sit <laughs> in the dark for a little bit, but I can't stay there or else that's what fuels my depression monster. Mm. And that's what feeds them to make them bigger. And and I can't do that. I'm allowed to sit in it. I'm allowed to sit with him and go, man, I made a mistake or I don't want to do the laundry. But I can't sit there too long or else yeah. then he starts driving the bus again. Yeah. So it's this balancing act of living in that wise mind. Well, the one thing, um, and I, I am going to pivot because I, mm -hmm. I want to touch on something uh, related to the corporate world. Um, but... Um, I th I think like what you're saying uh, makes sense on a, a lot of levels, um, and I think and, and you know you mentioned Brene Brown and Jeff has heard this many times about my referencing to you can really only be empathetic to other people when you are listening to their story and you believe them, mm -hmm. and I love how she qualifies it with and the hard part is the believing because cat. As you tell your story, as I tell some of mine, and Jeff says something from his, um, there could be people out there who goes, I disagree with it. I disagree mm -hmm. with that. I disagree. People shouldn't be on any type of medication. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, Eric, that's not okay for you to say your sins. You didn't sin and, and, and because it conflicts with their already mm -hmm. perceived reality. And this comes back to that idea about doing the work. I think as a culture, we need to get to the gym and start picking up some weights. Yeah, uh, I mean, we really do because yeah. because our muscles have atrophied. Mm -hmm. And I'm thankful for you and for your work group, your team, that they have you because not a, I won't say a lot. I don't know that. I would imagine that it's not the norm to be in an environment where that kind of approach is taken to mm -hmm. leadership. I hope that happens more, but let me pivot because <laughs> I'm thinking to myself. It's my team's favorite word. Pivot. Uh, okay, because um, we're gonna have to do a part two. I just know it. I can feel. I can, I can feel it in my core. Um, so here's here's what I'd like to ask uh -huh. you about. Um, obviously, you've got an internal look that recognizes the the challenges, the successes of mm -hmm. managing your mental health. And I've been trying, I've been moving my language, courtesy of Simon Sinek, to mental fitness. So you've been doing that. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about the challenges that you're seeing in the corporate world, just by observation, mm -hmm. not, not so much in your team and what you've taught or what that kind of thing. But what are you seeing out there? How are we doing ment with mental fitness in, in the corporate world? Well, I'd like, I, you know, in my personal experience, I think my my company's amazing. <laughs> yep. um, but I do now, now that I've transitioned to this role where I'm not, you know, a human tissue uh, and I, I but I, I'm working with adults, my friends are, we're having conversations about it and I'm seeing that there is a shift. Mm -hmm. There is a huge <clears throat> shift in cultures of companies. And I think it, and and I know I'm going to get backlash for this, but it's because I, I truly do think it's because of the millennials. Because <laughs> they're like, if you're mean to us, we're out. Exactly. Exactly. I think there is a shift 
in understanding, because now we're talking about mental fitness, right? We're talking about mental health. We're not acknowledging as as a four little word we don't talk about. Right. It is a we have made such scientific advancements, such psychological advancements that we are understanding that not only is our brain the third largest organ in our body, mm-hmm. that it needs to be cared for. It needs to be worked out. It ne- It's going to have good days. It's going to have bad days. It's going to get cuts. It's going to have reactions. Yeah. Um, and I like how you use the atrophy. Like We have to remember that empathy is a learned skill. And our brain is not only the third largest, it's the most complicated. Mm-hmm. And the more complicated something is, the more it needs mm-hmm. fine-tuned. Exactly. And uh, there's a great book called The Brain That Changes Itself. And I became obsessed with this book when I was um, in graduate school because it was all about neuroplasticity Uh and the ability to learn new skills and ignite other parts of our brain that haven't been used. And it's fantastic because that gives us hope. Like think think of the uncharted territories that we have and the human body is in fact our brain. There's so much we don't know about it. And there's so many, and this is is the problem that I have in a TikTok world we cannot explain mental health and mental fitness in a 30 second video that you listen to music over that it is a fu- it is a very complex beast but if that can be the catalyst to why you get help if that yeah. little that little nugget hits something in your brain that goes okay well i want to go and do this now i need to le- learn about it but we can't we cannot push down the gravity of what this is. Our brain is so complex. It stress affects it, water affects it, food affects it, sleep affects it. And you know what, Cap? I, I love how you're 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 because you, as we've said on our show before, you know, the, the idea of two things can be true at the same time. Mm-hmm. The brain is tremendously complex, but the things you just rattled off are not. It's, sleep is not complex. I mean, if you said to me, Eric, you know what? If you get seven, eight hours of sleep a night consistently, um, that's doing your brain good. Mm-hmm. So what would be what would be complex about that? Oh, you mean the part where it's 10 o'clock. I need to lay my head on the pillow, close my eyes, and then I'll get up at 6 o'clock. Yeah. And I, I, I'm obviously <laughs> I'm wearing it out with my <laughs> inner humor. But my, my point is... There are some very tangible, straightforward things that we can do that will support the health of this complex machine mm-hmm. that we have, which in my mind, and I know that the mm-hmm. neuroscientists will probably debate this forever about, you know, the fact that we, the brain has not evolved. It's the same brain from thousands of years ago, to which to my point, I go, well, you know, I think thousands of years ago, maybe they, they were living a little bit better. And I don't mean it as far as advancements, right? I get it. We got technology and AI. Who knows, right? I mean, we'll save the world. I don't really like AI, so. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Nobody in the audience, do not quote me. Do not write me. I I do not mean I just have issues with the. We love Skynet. (laughs) (laughs) But my point is, Kat, is this idea of it's, it's not a complex thing to care for. This wonderfully complex thing we call our brain. You know, I, Eric, when I, I was thinking about what Kat was saying and everything, but those things that you talk about, sleep and, and diet and things like that, those we have a lot of control over. Yeah. But the one thing that is, I think, the hardest for us to help our brain with is what we see and what we hear because it's constant. Mm-hmm. And how do we filter that? I, I have no answer whatsoever. I'm a very, um, I'm, I'm not an observer, I'm an absorber. So I, I, I feel things very intensely. Um, I think we have another empath in the room. <laughs> I, I, uh-huh. I feel things very intensely. And I, I will tell you, there, I don't watch the news anymore because it was just making me so sad. And I, because I just, I look at the injustice, I look at the sadness of the world, and I'm like, well, why can't we fix it? Because it's not, it's not simple. It's not water and food. It's, it's, it's love and hope. 
And how do you fix love and hope? And how do you give that? And how do you let people know that they're cared for? But at the same time, you're scared. Like, it's scary. We we all went through a joint trauma. The world did. We we lost people. And this is, and again, nobody send me nasty grams, <laughs> but people died. And and we lost community. We we went into our homes and we couldn't do the things that we that we did before. We couldn't go to the movies. We couldn't have holidays with our families. That that we, is something we need to acknowledge. We lost stability. We lost stability. We lost safety. <clears throat> and then then when you lose safety and fear is fed, like remember when I said if somebody weaponizes trauma, yeah. there's a special place. Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes right now, and this is just a very personal feeling, people are weaponizing trauma and we don't know how to heal from that. We we all went through a joint trauma and it took us a long time to get to this place and it's going to take us a long time to get out of it. And But we have to validate people and their feelings. It was very lonely for me. My family validates that. Mm-hmm. You know, my friends validate that. For some people, it was very helpful for them. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm very introverted. Yeah, I'm going. <laughs> yeah, I like this. <laughs> so my my really good friend uh, Eric and my boyfriend Wes are are classic introverts, and they're like, we were born for this day. We were born for this day. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> like, we, we get a chance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whereas I'm sitting there going, huh. Yeah, my wife is very yeah. extroverted. So, <laughs> and I'm a hugger. Like I'm the Olaf of humans. I love. Oh. Love a good warm hug, oh, and it was painful, like yeah. to not be able to hug people and to not to do those things that fill my cup. But also from it, I learned a very valuable lesson of how to be alone, and I don't think I ever knew how to do that. Mm. So now I know how to fill my cup by myself. I love to read and I love to organize and and spending time with my two wonderful dogs. Like those are those things that fill my cup, and we we have to acknowledge the growth as as a society that came from that, but. It's so hard when all we hear is negative, 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 negative. And you know, there, there's a part of me, uh, you know, to to your point, what I f- feel personally is that um, the fuel to that fire um, is kind of deception mm-hmm. because it gives people the impression that somehow what is happening 3,000 miles away or 10,000 miles away, I can play a part in that mm-hmm. I can control that or I can have impact on it. And that does not dismiss the empathy you feel for those that are suffering. It does not dismiss um, maybe you doing something from afar, mm-hmm. right? I believe my best contribution to the world is being the best version of the person I was born to be. Because mm-hmm. I do have control over that, mm-hmm. right? I don't have control over Israel and the Gaza Strip. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I, I, I can have an opinion on some things that maybe look this way, and my opinion is over here. But at the end of the day, anytime I've ever tried to tackle something I had no control over, I typically it ended in frustration, mm-hmm. and it robbed me. It 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 harmed me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that I don't know. I, I I guess I come back to the work again. Mm-hmm. Right. I I just I wonder what would happen if. If, and they don't have to follow because I drew that scenario of, of the best version. But if, if people put that effort in, I wonder if we would be as prone to digesting all of mm-hmm. the negative stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I wonder that a lot, you know, but it, it's hard. It's hard. Um, most people don't want to admit that they have to do the work because the work is hard. But, mm-hmm. you know, to quote another great book, we can all do hard things. Like, we can do the hard thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there are all of these fantastic sayings, but we have to actually put it into practice. We have yes. to do it. Ultimately, yeah. And, and I love <clears throat> the mental fitness comp, like outlook on it because there are days you're going to go to the gym and you're going to have the best workout ever. And there are days that you are going to eat the healthiest meals. And there are the days that your anxiety friend doesn't keep you up at night. But then there are days that that happens. You're going to be at White Castle. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? And there are the days that you just want some chicky nuggies and you're right. going to eat those. Right. So, Cat. <laughs> all right. So, this morning. Okay. All right. So, 
Uh, we had this little thing called time change, um, whatever. I don't know if that's the official name for it, of which if any of you in Congress are listening, why not just can we put an end to this? Like, yeah. Follow Indiana and Arizona <laughs> or something. So um, I'm getting to bed at, I don't know, it was probably about 10 o'clock and my typical wake up time is six. So I'm thinking, OK, I'm going to be great. Well, it's 5 a.m. My body thinks it's 6 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm debating. Do I get up or do I push through to try to get more sleep? No, you got to get up. So I'm up earlier than I anticipated. And today's the day when I'm, I'm giving my exercise secrets away. I'm working on chest and back. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of dragging because mm-hmm. this time change stuff is real. Right. And I, I got to tell you, I didn't want to increase the weight. I didn't really dig the three sets. And, you know, I would have preferred I got some time. Why don't I go and lay back down? Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not a hooray for Eric. You push through. But you're right. Hard things should not be avoided. Mm-hmm. They will reward us. Mm-hmm. They will reward. But it's also us. Okay. Oh, can I go one, one thing about yeah. the time change? My understanding is that was done to give farmers more daylight. Yes, I remember that. Tractors have headlights. <laughs> I grew up on a farm. <laughs> okay, so any of the Congress people out there, if you'd like some uh, insight on this, Jeff he's, <laughs> is the man Sorry to talk about to. That, but That's all right. Cat, like, no, I, no, but you also have to give yourself grace that if you didn't push through. Yeah, exactly. And that it's okay because yeah. you can have a really great workout one day and a really icky Cat, workout another. This is, that's great. I'm so glad you said that because tomorrow, the only time my son can meet is uber early tomorrow. Yeah. So you know what? I might not get to the gym. Mm-hmm. And you know what? To your point. That's it's okay. okay. That's it's okay. absolutely okay because it's all about okay. that wheel of control. But could you imagine? Could you imagine? <laughs> what if I told my son? Uh, you know, no, we can't, we can't get together for breakfast because, you know, I've got a, I got workout and then I've got this. Then to me, that's like a slippery slope mm-hmm. of, that's kind of communicating. That's more important to me yeah. than you. Cats in the cradle. Yeah. <laughs> you did it, Jeff. A musical <laughs> reference. All right. Okay. So cat. Yeah. <laughs> this has been great. I just love it. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Uh, the next thing I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you about, if I can get my notes together here, what are you doing as it relates to mental fitness? Now, I know you, you talked about um, the, the wonderful effects of, of that mm-hmm. drug. Uh, you talked about therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about the things that aren't necessarily at, at that level. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking like day to day. I mean, that kind of stuff. Well, it's interesting that you ask that because I feel honestly for the last probably about month to month and a half, uh, my depression is horrific. Sorry, I'm collecting my thoughts. Um, yeah, so my right. girlfriends and I, um, we go to a cabin in the in the fall. My college girlfriends and I, so Joss and myself, mm-hmm. and there was a group. There was a group of eight of us who are very close, and this time only five could come. And I was just sharing with them. You know, I wasn't feeling myself, and. We were talking, and then in a text chain later, I was saying, all right, I'm noticing some symptoms. Like, I'm getting super fatigued. I'm, I, have a, I have mind fog. Like I, my, my life is standing up in front of people and talking. And in front of a large group of people, I forgot my words. And I said, I am so sorry. I'm going to do the one thing that, as a professional facilitator, you should never do, and I'm going to turn my back and look at the PowerPoint. And that was embarrassing. So I was seeing all of these signs of of my fitness struggling. Mm -hmm. And I think it is important to understand that there is a chemical side to mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, That just as your contact lens cannot meet your eyes prescription, your current, current support, your current chemical support might not be doing what's right for you. And as women, um, we go through tons of hormonal changes that can affect that. And I do think at this point in time, that is what's happening to me. I do not think it, I'm, I have everything in the world to be excited about. And so I, I've, I've made myself a doctor's appointment. Oh, so, and, and Kat, I'm <laughs> sorry, I'm, I, you know, if, for those of you who are watching a video of us, you'd see my, because... In, in a future show, we, we want to have on a a, uh, a physician, yeah. 
specifically focusing on women's needs as it relates to this hormonal thing. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think one of the, and I have some very pointed opinions about the traditional medical Mm -hmm. um, approach, allopathic, is that the term for the traditional medical community? Because I think women have been done such a disservice and they have been dismissed on so many levels when it comes to thyroid issues and the connection, and I get it, Pfizer probably is not interested in a research study on this, but there is there is evidence out there that there is a connection to thyroid and the way that our brain operates. Very much. So I am, I mean, you know, if we don't find this physician, we'll have cat back to do a show to talk about it just as lay, lay persons. It's Friday at 2.30. Friday at 2.30. I have my okay. whole list of my – I even, But do you – what do you think about – I mean, I – because – Oh, totally, totally, okay. totally, totally. I, I just actually – I wanted to go see the Taylor Swift concert in theaters because – Okay, right. You know, I was like, I can't afford to spend. I I wanted (laughs) to. I so wanted to see Taylor Swift. But I went to the theater and I was with a a really good friend, one of my best friends on the planet, and two of her good friends. And one of them was sharing her journey with, um, with her thyroid issues. And she was explaining all of it to me. And she was the one that really got me going. And I was like, wait a second. Samesies. I'm feeling tired, irritable. Like, I love my boyfriend. But there are times where I'm just like, I want to kill you. And I don't know why. It's it's like he breathed wrong. And that's that's not okay. Or I'm feeling a lack of motivation at work or I'm feeling like I don't want to get out of bed. And so I'm very much like, is it is it depression or is it something else? And I'm also noticing noticing like changes in my body and changes in in my my hair. You know, like it it's it's thinner and it's coarser. So and to me that's and my mom is a microbiologist. So I called her and she was like, yes, this sounds like it. Do you want me to go with you and advocate? And I went, you want to know what? Yeah, I, I do. I'm awesome. a 39-year-old woman and I want my mom. Um, no, but you know what, though? <laughs> like, and you know what? We got to, I, I, maybe it's not the total reason we got here. And I'm yeah. speaking from experience with my wife. Yeah. The amount of dismissive, um, you're just. Yeah, you 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 you're just stressed right now. Yeah. You no 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 no, and and it's almost like mm-hmm. no, don't you you just need to go home. You maybe a, watch a watch a Netflix special. Yeah, and I and I, and I know turn, I'm exaggerating. Turn, turn, the Hallmark Channel will help. Um, yeah, well, I, I do love me a Hallmark, <laughs> and, and, that's, and I'm over. I'm exaggerating this, but it is. I, I don't think that I think women are kind of to a degree raising their hands saying. Is anybody going to take this seriously or, or mm-hmm. is it going to continually be this? Well, it's not really that. It's not really that. Well, and I have a I have a, a really great girlfriend who just has found out that she has ADHD and she's 39 years old. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the mental load that you had a something that could be helped, but you weren't taken seriously because when we were younger, ADHD studies were not done in females. They were only done in males. So we we have manifested these symptoms in different ways, and right. we have been rewarded for our coping mechanisms. Yeah. Oh, they can do it all. Oh, wow, she's a great multitasker. No, I just have so much anxiety that if I don't multitask, I'm not going to be seen as successful. Yeah. And now, now that... And she and I were chatting about this. Now that our anxiety is under control, I realize there are other things that are wrong with me. <laughs> and well, I'm just and, like and slowly going, okay, well, now I have I to. Am I mourning? Did I do something wrong? Did I not ask the right questions? But I'm sorry, Kat, if my, no. my, my sighing comes across as, as a communicating to what you're saying, because it's not. It's no. just, <laughs> it is such, uh, because I, I think about my own medical journey in, in general, yeah. and, and I go, um, <laughs> had a conversation with a physician who basically told me that it was going to be this or this. And if I decided not to do what they recommended, we were going to have a hard conversation. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm typically, I reserve my wrath for when I really need it. Mm-hmm. So I have a perception. People will go, he's such a nice guy. He's so kind. He's so they don't realize that what a beast does live inside of mm-hmm. me. Right. Yeah. And I told my wife, I said, they don't realize how short that conversation is going to be. And it's not going to be hard. <laughs> it's not going to be hard at all. And, and I'm thinking, how do we get here, right? That 
you, in, in this case, with females who are dealing with thyroid issues, for example, have got to scream and kick and shout and to get them to pay attention. And if everything was a pathway for the traditional, it's like, come on. If you guys are the smartest people in the room, shouldn't you be more curious? I mean, because that's kind of the pathway to learning, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it, it anyway. is, and it's hard. And I think that there's so much involved. There's chemistry. Like, there is chemistry in your body. Mm -hmm. we're, we're this beautiful concoction of chemicals and, and hormones. And, like, our bodies are so complex, but also, again, so simple. And not all problems can be solved with, okay, well, it's this. Sometimes it's multifaceted. So yeah. we have to, and the way that I appreciate just society right now is we're starting to really look at symptoms and we're not making, we're not jumping to conclusions. We're like, okay, well, what are we checking out of this box? You know that your anxiety is under control. And so I keep on telling myself that cat, you know, your anxiety is under control. These other things are not. So in that control circle, what about mm. life can I control? I can control my anxiety. So I know that I am not overreacting. <laughs> well, I've got to, if you say that my anxiety is over control, is it? Yeah. Oh, and then my, <laughs> I remember <laughs> the first time that my anxiety was under control and I was having anxiety about not having anxiety. <laughs> it's, it's because that's, yeah. I, I deal with that too. And yeah. it's like. Ah, <laughs> the first time that you didn't overreact, you probably were like, "Is there something wrong with me? Why am I not overreacting?" <laughs> like, I remember telling my therapist that the first time I was like, "I had a really like bad thing happen, and I was calm and cool and collective. I, What's wrong with me?" <laughs> I, I was coming back from the old job. I was coming back from Pennsylvania, and a snow squall came and the car I was in got hit from behind by a semi mm -hmm. and I'm going, eh, nobody got hurt. <laughs> I'm going like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> this ain't right. Exactly. You're not chicken little. You're not like the sky is falling. The sky is falling. And it, it was always bad. I don't know if you guys are people who stuff stress. You push it down. I have my moments. I have my moments too. And to be able to not push something down to, to feel it in the moment and to go, wait a second this is not a big deal. And mm. I have all of the tools in my toolbox to be able to deal with this. And I'm not crying. I am not overreacting. I am having a, a response rather than a reaction. And that was the, one of the greatest days on my mental health journey was to know I can respond rather than react. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm thinking about some of the things that you said there as far as keeping yourself mentally fit. Um, I'm finding that the more that I'm able to focus in on moving myself out of the sympathetic part of my nervous system to the parasympathetic, the better I'm going to be doing, right? Mm -hmm. And at times I've asked myself, so why didn't I do this back when I was like, you know, the corporate mm -hmm. whatever, and I, and I remember back then, I'd see a lilac bush and love the fragrance, but feel like I didn't have time. Mm -hmm. And I would just, it just passed me by. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember the leaves changing. I know they did because they do every year, but there was a significant number of years where it was just a whoosh, whoosh type thing. And though we all have things that we're managing and responsible for, I'm so glad I finally realized that, you know, the paying attention to that lilac tree, that mm -hmm. lilac bush, is as equally as important as that big project that's going to reap whatever. Mm -hmm. And I didn't used to believe that. Yeah. And I think when we make that kind of transition, it's like we're honoring our bodies, our minds. We're, we're, we're basically saying, no, you know, the, the, most, the biggest, most important gift I've been given is this, our body, our mind. So, yeah, I should take some time to pay attention to it, to care for it, mm -hmm. and all of that. Um, okay, so as we are running out of time, as we always do with such <laughs> great guests, 
which mm-hmm. Kat, that does mean you're going to be invited back. Hopefully you'll want to come you. back yes, and spend course. time with us. For sure. Um, so what are you currently excited about? What's what's going on in your world you'd love our audience to know about? Oh, I, I'm so excited about so many different things. Well, first of all, the holidays. Who isn't excited about those? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I am excited personally. I just feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be in life and that that the art that's inside of me it really it really is going to shine and that I have a loving family and a fantastic support system and life excites me I'm just excited about life I was actually in a um in a facilitation moment and we we're talking about our proudest moment and it's it's part of a training in which it's called the five dysfunctions of a team and they ask you what your proudest moment is. And I just said, I'm proud that I'm here. I'm proud that I'm still here. And I'm proud that I'm still fighting. And I'm proud that I'm still growing. And I'm excited that I'm still learning. And I'm excited that I have the opportunity to learn from my mistakes. I'm excited that I get to share what growth mindset is with so many different people. I'm excited that my friends are going down their own mental health journey. I'm excited that the future is limitless if we band together, provide empathy, and really give people a place where they can experience what grace is and teaching them how to do it to themselves. Yeah. Um, and to your point, I think my my noble mission is we have, to give great, we have to give the grace that we extend to others to ourselves. And if I can teach people that, if I can teach, if this podcast helps that, if my work does it, or even just being nice to a lady in a grocery store, if that can help them see that there is grace and they should extend it to themselves, I will, I will. Be a whole person. I will be happy. And well, and I, I would dare say, Kat, um, you're looking pretty whole to me <laughs> because what inspires me is the fact that you didn't say that from the perspective of someone who says, well, I've already checked the box. I've already checked the box. I don't deal with that and I don't deal with this. And I, No, you're saying I'm dealing with all these mm-hmm. things and still I am. Yes. That to me is living well. Everyone, we thank you so much for joining us for today's show. It was a pleasure. Yes, it was. And we look forward to the next time that we're together. Take care. Hi, everyone. This is Eric again. A couple of things as we've ended the show. We hope you enjoyed it. Hopefully, you're tuning in on a regular basis. We'd love it if you would give us a great review on whatever platform you're listening to the podcast. It's so appreciative and helps us as we try to get more exposure for the work we do and the episodes that we publish. And we're grateful to you as a listener. The second thing is just remember, our content is for educational purposes only. It's not intended by any stretch to diagnose or to treat anything that may be occurring in your life or anyone else's life that you may be connected to through the podcast. But once again, we appreciate you tuning in to the shows. And as always, we look forward to the next time that we're together. Take care.